I was raised in a cult. Of course, if you'd have asked me all those years ago or anyone else in our small fundamentalist church if we were a cult, we'd have indignantly replied, absolutely not. Other groups like the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, they're cults, but we're not a cult. Everything became normalized, though, but it wasn't until decades later after I deconstructed my entire belief system and walked away from the Christian faith entirely that I began to see just how cultish the whole thing actually was. But before all of that, for over 20 years, I'd served both as a pastor and a Bible college teacher, so I had a hand in it, furthering the toxicity also. So in the process of rebuilding my life and discovering my authentic identity, I've got lots to work through, things like religious trauma syndrome, rapture anxiety, and just so much more. Join me, Dr. Clint Haycock, on the MindShift podcast as we take a look at such topics as cult tactics and psychology, religious trauma syndrome and religious addiction, taking your life back after leaving a cult or high-control group, and finally, dominion theology and the dangers posed by the Christian right, not just in America, but indeed the world. You can find my show on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Who knows, it might just be time for a mind check. Welcome to I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, and today we've got a couple of guests who are people that we listen to a lot and we think are an awesome team, and that is Ross Blotcher and Carrie Poppy from Oh No, Ross and Carrie. So welcome, guys. Hello. Thank, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. And Troy's here too. Hi. Hey, Troy. <laughs> hey. Hey, I, I, I am really thrilled to see you guys. You know, it was always, well, not always, but at least still to this day, at least, seeing you guys in the charts. And I remember looking at the religion charts because that's where we that's where we tend to trend. That's where we put ourselves mm. forward. And it was this Ono, oh Ross and Carrie. And I can remember thinking, what the fuck is Ono, oh Ross and Carrie? And why <laughs> yes. are they in the religion category? <laughs> right. Now, I have to say, we regularly compete with you guys for the number one slot, the t- top hey. 10 place. And so we, we just thought, let's have these guys on because they're awesome. And of course, I have since discovered you guys and I do really enjoy you guys. And there's a lot of synergy with what we do. Hey, I'm thrilled to hear we're still in the charts. Oh, regularly. You guys are consistently top 10 in Australia. Consistently. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I think you're the first person to tell us that you listened because we were your competitors. <laughs> so first of all, congrats. Congrats. Yeah. But but I do want to clarify that we don't listen to all of our competitors. I mean, there is Joel Osteen, <laughs> there there is sure, um, sure. Father Fike, Mike Schmidt, and there's Tammy. Tammy, someone. The sounds of something with Tammy, someone. She's always knocking us off the the top spot. So we don't listen to them all. There's a couple of Jewish ones okay. too. There's a couple of Jewish ones, and I think in Egypt we compete with a couple of Arabic ones. In, oh, and okay. and we, we have hit top ten religion in Egypt. I think they saw fundamentalist and went, hold on, what's this all about? Oh, nice. Yeah, as uh, oh, right. Carrie said earlier, we often consider ourselves in competition with Joel Osteen, uh, and I don't listen to his podcast either, but I did read one of his books recently, and it was just as bad as I would have thought. <laughs> uh, he's he's a worry. One of my sisters loves Joel. 
absolutely loves him. So, because obviously he speaks the truth, let, let's be honest. There was a photo of him recently put up on one of the Hillsong watching uh, Instagram feeds about, and he was meeting with Brian and Bobby Houston, he and his wife. And, and I was like, what's this? Like how to milk the sheep conference or something yeah, like right. that. <laughs> Now, guys, you've recently dropped – it's a 12-part episode on The Ark, um, which yes. is in Kentucky. It's in Wilmore, Kentucky, I think, something like that. Williamstown. Williamstown. I'm getting confused with Wilmore, which is where the Asprey Revival has been oh, recently, I think. Okay. And, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but, Ross, when were you at The Ark? May – wait a second. Yeah, May 9th through – 11th of 2022. Oh, did they just have the outbreak of measles? Well, as an outbreak of Jesus first, obviously. <laughs> um, then, then, well, the spirit, the spirit, and then the measles came with it. So, and I'm sure there <laughs> Coincidence? was- Coincidence? Yeah, no, not at all. But Ross, did you start that revival? Because you were 100 kilometers away, or 60 miles away from from this revival. Surely your presence at the Ark has started something. If correlation is any indication, then maybe. <laughs> Are we talking about that uh, that thing that's happening right now in the middle of the US? Yeah, I think there was um, at, at Asprey is a university in Kentucky. Yeah. Some sort of Bible college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. College, yeah, and there was a two-week prayer meeting, and they call they're calling it the new revival. But and it was huge, right? Like hundreds of tens of thousands of people. Yeah, yeah, people were standing in line for days to get in, that kind of thing. Wow. Yeah, and then most of them ended up with measles. So the Lord <laughs> provides. Right, they're all anti-vaxxers, <laughs> oh, which no. is hilarious. <laughs> I follow um, a, a husband and wife influencer couple who are Christian on Instagram, and they were talking about this event and. They were saying, like, please don't pressure us to call it a revival. We're saving that word because we've seen other things called a revival that let us down. So we're not calling it that. We're calling it a rebirth. A rebirth. And, that's very Yeah, I just age. thought, well, that's, you know, that's that's the same. Those are synonyms. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just for some reason, this this was like different in their minds in some way. More careful. And they're all about saving themselves, so... Makes sense. So revival, yeah. I, I saw that they were they got a bit excited when some of the young people started to turn up because apparently it was certainly it was college age kids at first, and then it sort of got hijacked by I think sort of Gen Xs, and then some of the millennials and the Gen Ys started turning up and they got excited, but then they all got measles and died. So it's a bit sad. Oh man. Oof. I'm not sure anyone died. Wah, wah, no, no one died. Sorry, in. that was just my dark humor attempt. <laughs> Sorry, no, no one died. They just got. <laughs> Bumpy. Oh, really? Oh, good. Okay. Oh, no one died? A bunch of people got measles and no one died? No, I don't think anyone. And they were mostly anti vaxxers is why it happened. It was, it, it was great. I mean. Yeah. You know, I like le- this story. A few less wouldn't have gone astray, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. But what we want to do today is we want to talk to you guys, obviously, about the stuff you do because, you know, your podcast is awesome. And I think that one of the things that you do exceptionally well is that investigative type work where you do, what is your, what is your catch cry? Yeah. Well, we say we investigate fringe science. Uh, let's see. Oh, boy, whenever, whenever we're introducing the podcast, it's easy to do. And then when I try to think of it on the fly, it's hard to summarize, but it's all about, uh, friends, fringe science, uh, 
fringe religious beliefs, alternative medicine, spirituality, and uh, we're all about investigating firsthand and then sharing our experiences, and uh, hopefully with a bit of humor, not at the expense of well-meaning people. And, and you turn up so we don't have to. And why Ono, Ross, and Carrie? Well, that's a good question. That? I'm not sure that either of us is confident that we know the answer. But uh, one time we were at la- we were at dinner, I suppose, with our friend Ian, who ended up uh, working on the show with us. And I, we know that it was a pitch of his. We know all three of us liked it. And it was somewhere around, this is what people will say when they hear us coming, or this is what people will, will say when we tell them the stories of all the weird things we're doing. Um, but I don't. the actual pitch is sort of lost to history now. And, and now it's just this funky little sentence we say all the time that I, I still don't really know what it means. <laughs> yeah, and it gives you no indication of what the podcast is. But in some ways, that plays in our favor because, you know, like you experienced, it shows up on a religious chart and you think, huh, well, what's, what's the perspective here? And, uh, you know... It, we don't want to be seen as like a skeptical podcast. You know, that's not our uh, th- that's not our intent. Like we want to go in and learn as much as we can. And then we give our take on it, which happens to uh, be sort of from a pro-science standpoint. Do you think it could also be when people see you turning up to research their group, they go, oh, no, I wasn't care. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. Have you guys ever come across anyone who's been – super like violent towards you guys or recognized you and gone, fuck, we don't want these guys here. <laughs> we've been turned away. Uh, usually it's after we've started an investigation. Like we had some really awkward run-ins uh, with the Melissa Scott group. Uh, she had inherited the uh, Gene Scott uh, church in Los Angeles. He was a really popular local personality and um, they, made their events ticketed. You had to like come in person. They wanted your name in advance because they were already insular and paranoid. And then when they found out who we were, then they had a bunch of guards waiting to turn us away. Uh, You know, like guys wearing suits and earpieces (laughs) to eject us when we arrived. And then uh, the Ordo Templi Orientis, we had published a podcast and foolishly thought that word wouldn't get out before we went back to another meeting and uh, were very awkwardly turned away. But we've been sued, and uh, maybe Carrie's got some good stories there. Oh, with the lawsuits? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, we've had a few different really, I don't know, w- ways that people have, have rejected our approach, but usually we come out on top of them. Um, most recently we went back to Scientology to take a photo at their Christmas exhibit, (laughs) not really thinking much of that. It's just out on the street for anybody to walk up to. And they recognized us because they have people at the sit, people who man the front have to sit there and memorize our faces. They have, uh, (laughs) they have a binder with only like, like 60 odd people whose faces they have to memorize. And we're two of them. It's called their, uh, their rogues gallery. Yeah. And so as we were walking by, one of them said, hi, Ross, um, and then tried to uh, usher us both away. We both got named Ross that day and tried to usher us both away. And, and, and then we were there for like 45 minutes just trying to take this photo. We had to call their media line and get permission. And it was just this whole to do so that we could get this picture of us with our arms around each other in front of a Christmas backdrop. Yeah. And they were worried about us entering the building, which we were trying to do because the Christmas exhibit was all 
blocked off, so we assumed the entrance was through the building. Turns out they were just 15 minutes late to opening it and didn't realize until we were trying to get in. So then they had to scramble to like turn on the speakers and the music and there was no Santa Claus like there usually is. It was awkward. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they still have their perimeter fence up and our faces memorized. And every now and then like the last... Like the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park, we uh, we test the fence. <laughs> you know what you should do? What what you should have done was when they recognized you, sort of said, "Hey, have you seen Mike Rinder?" Mm. <laughs> not a name they like. No, not a name they like at all. We've had him on our show though. Well, you you've got all the names. No wonder you're at number one. <laughs> <laughs> He's a really sweet guy. He's Australian too, so we like him. Oh yeah! Right, right. Uh, he wasn't so sweet when he was in Scientology, but now, oh, no. now he's, now he's he was vicious. Now. He was vicious. <laughs> to be fair, we don't like all Australians. We just want to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, Ken Ham already. We've talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Houston. He's another one. Oh, he's a Kiwi, actually. Yeah, he is a Kiwi. Yes. Oh, actually, uh, Brian was telling us, Troy, that we should ask you about this. We're currently investigating Twin Ray. It's this uh, kind of startup uh, group in Southern Oregon. And the the male of the pair, he is from Australia originally, uh, and he goes now as Sananda G or Akasha Sananda. But we think his name was uh, Harley Forrester back in the day, and that he may have lived in Adelaide. Does that does that ring any bells for you? Hmm. Let me think. No. Okay. All right. Well. There we go. Now, I've put that on your radar. If you hear anything, let yeah, us yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where you say, thanks for the lead, Brian. I, yeah. well, <laughs> I, I said because you are the cult man here that you might know about them and you might know oh, the family true. or someone like that. So I was, I was talking I may you have. Up. I may have. Yeah, I may have, but I don't. They are new, so you'll probably hear more about them. We'll throw it out to our Facebook group now and we'll see what comes up because cool. we do have a lot of cult-busting friends in the Facebook group. Excellent. Oh, nice. So I, I do want to pick up on the, the arc, the 12, 12 part arc series that you did. Mm-hmm. It sounds mm-hmm. like that, that thing sounds pretty bloody huge. Obviously it's the, it is the, the scale of, according to Ken Ham's cubit scale, the, yeah. the right size of the arc. Um, but what led you to go, Hey, I'm going to go to the arc and I'm going to do a 12 part series on it and walk us through it. What, what was behind that? Yeah, well, uh, I feel a little guilty here because originally Carrie and I were looking at this together and saying, whoa, okay, first of all, you have the ARC, which has been on our destination list for a long time, but they were going to start up a new homeschooling conference there, and they were going to have Kirk Cameron come and give a talk, and yeah, Troy's giving the thumbs up to that, and uh, so we are like, okay, we're in, let's get tickets, let's fly out there, but... It was conflicting with Carrie's uh, nuptials, honeymoon. honeymoon. Yeah. yeah. And so, I had the nerve to go get married right then. And she was going to be in the Galapagos. Yeah. So the structure of our show is that usually we both we both do something together and t- and talk to each other about our impressions. But sometimes one of us will just go and then tell the other. So then the other person sort of plays the audience and is hearing this stuff for the first time. So in this case, Ross was telling me about the arc. So I was attending a, you know, three-day, full-day conference, and every spare moment I had, I was running over to the ARC and then carefully photographing 
uh, and experiencing every exhibit. And it, it is a very large structure uh, by Ken Ham's uh, reckoning of the biblical you know, instruction to make it 300 cubits long that translated to 510 feet. So uh, it's fairly jam-packed with informational displays and... And not with animals. No, but not animals. That's right. That would be uh, awkward and inconvenient. Yes, because it turns out it's really hard to get all the animals on a ship. <laughs> yeah, and it's somewhat central to the story, too. Yes, yes. <laughs> somewhat central to the narrative. <laughs> Indeed. And, and obviously giraffes were a lot shorter back then, apparently, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very important to them, yeah. Yes. And dinosaurs, too, right? Or did they not exist? Is oh, it, they were that, on the alive. Yeah, they were on. The, I wasn't sure if that was alive of the devil or they were actually somehow on the ark. No, oh, either either alive of the devil or now alive of Ken Ham. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing that I found really interesting about those episodes was you talked about because you guys are in Southern California, mm-hmm. is that right? You guys live in Southern California, so that's the center of everything liberal and evil. And so you <laughs> yeah. had to put up. You had to put up your hand and say, "I'm from California." It was on my name badge. It said Ross Splotcher, Burbank, California. And not only were they hating on California, like every time I mentioned that to somebody, hey, where's everybody from? And most people were from a diaspora of other states. But whenever I would say California, I would hear this sharp intake of air. Ooh, you poor guy. And it was <laughs> it was almost like consoling or like, oh, we feel for you, buddy. It must be hard out there. And I almost wanted to point out to them, hey, guess which state had the most Trump voters of any state? California. We're just, mm-hmm. we're bigger than the bottom 22 of you combined. The county where I live is larger than the population of your whole state. Anyway, so it was that. And then also there was a lot of hate on Disney. And as listeners to our (laughs) podcast know, my day job is working for Walt Disney Animation Studios. So I was a double enemy without them even knowing that I was a, you know, uh, materialist. Did you tell them that you work for Disney or did did you keep that one secret? Yeah, Yeah, fair enough. They didn't ask. I didn't offer. Ross is legally obligated to tell people he works for Disney. It's like being a cop. So, <laughs> if, they, if they ask, I have to admit, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's really riding on a thin razor's edge at the Ark. Well, Brian and I are actually legally obligated to tell everybody that we drive Teslas. At least that's what we do. Isn't it? <laughs> Everywhere do. we go, I say, hey, do you, do you know I drive a Tesla? <laughs> and that's uh, why you were late. No, no, it's because I wasn't driving a Tesla. I'm out walking. I looked at my watch and went, oh, no, Ross and Carrie. Yeah. See? See, that's why people say it. Yeah. That's what happened. But obviously you were both interested in this because, now I know, Ross, you grew up in an evangelical household. Mm -hmm. So what did it look like for you? And Carrie, we'll ask you in a minute. What was your growing up in Christianity or evangelicalism? What was your experience? And were you teenage fundamentalists? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's fair to say that both Carrie and I were teenage fundamentalists, uh, though I'll, I'll let her add any nuance to that that she'd like. Yeah, I was raised in the originally the Assemblies of God Church. Uh, so yeah, I know you guys have the same background there. And uh, that was ages like one through 10. And then my parents divorced. And I started going to church with my dads and Sunday became dad's day. And I still, to this day, call him every Sunday, you know, a tradition that started when I moved away to college. So I started going to the church where his new girlfriend and and soon thereafter wife was going, which was a Methodist church up in the kind of the mountains of Santa Cruz. 
and a very different experience because I had been used to, well, first of all, I never missed Sunday. Didn't matter if we were traveling or what, or, you know, I was going to say sick. I don't know. We probably still would have gone to church even if we were sick. I don't think I ever missed a single Sunday of church. And I would wear like a suit. My dad would wear a full suit. And then we were going to this Methodist church that was far more laid back. And like there wasn't that huge emphasis on constant scripture memorization or, you know, like we stood out like sore thumbs in our suits. So eventually I kind of uh, dialed it back a bit. Anyway, so it was a different experience, but I got to be an acolyte and wear the robes. And then uh, when I met, uh, well, I'd known my wife for a long time and she wasn't my wife yet, but once we started dating, I was going to uh, the church where she was at, which was also an Assemblies of God. In, uh, in Santa Cruz. So uh, in between all of that, uh, I would occasionally do like Wednesday night services and other church involvement with my mom, who had a few different churches in the area. So I would interact with the Baptists, and I went to a Baptist school, and I would also go volunteer with the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. So I got to taste a lot of different flavors of Christianity. And then when I moved to college, I was I got involved with Presbyterians, and that was kind of my last church before I found skepticism in college. So there we go. That was probably longer than it should have been, but hopefully uh, enough. Info. No, that's good. You certainly established your teenage fundy cred, and and we enjoy that. And especially the fact that you were Assemblies of God, we mm-hmm. love it. And and you know Wednesdays and youth group and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you were you were there. I, I was just listening to a bit of your Keith Green episode recently, or the uh, End Times Ministries, or the Last Days Ministry, and uh, I was a huge Keith Green fan. Like we would, you know, make a four-hour, five-hour drive down to Disneyland once a year and like listen to Keith Green the whole time there and back. <laughs> was that to inoculate yourselves before you got there, or back in those days, Disney wasn't so bad? That was just you know what we had on the tape player, and that was our idea of entertainment. So, what about you, Carrie? What's your Christian cred, were you a teenage fundy? Well, gosh, I, I can definitely sign off on having been an evangelical, but I hadn't really thought about this. Was I a fundamentalist? So I'll I'll tell you about what I was and you tell me if this matches your definition. I So I went to church camp when I was 12 and my parents uh, didn't really go to church. I guess we went on Christmas and Easter until this point, but uh, a friend took me to church camp so I kind of got the Jesus bug there and, uh, you know, accepted Jesus as it were and started going to church a lot after that. And this was the Presbyterian Church USA. And so I started going there probably three or four nights a week. So it just kind of immediately became my whole social network. And I I really, really re- was very, very devout. But I would say it always had a tinge of liberal perspective to it, my approach to faith. So I definitely always trusted the Bible more than I trusted anyone teaching at the church. And I was always kind of on alert about, well, wait, what you just said bumps with what I read in Matthew last night. And that that certainly was a Bible first perspective. But I believed in evolution and I was pro-gay. So what's that? That that means you're destined for hell. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make you destitute of hell. But you, you had me at went to camp, went multiple times in a week. This was sounding very fundamentalist, but then you lost me at gay and evolution, I'm afraid. Right? Yeah. I I think just like I never was able to block out the counter evidence. I couldn't do it. And I 
even though I would hear people talking about evolution being a myth or whatever, I would just hear the other side of it at school and be like, well, that makes a lot more sense. I just, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't block it out if I wanted to. So anyway, eventually that all fell apart. That, um, that seeking after truth came to its own end when I realized, well, what I believe just doesn't um, stack up to the alternative, the, uh, the other point of view that, that there isn't a God frankly um it, it just started to make more sense to me when i looked at the evidence so you really are distant for hell then carrie and how does that make you feel <laughs> uh i feel okay about it it's funny i mean i know you're you're joking but um ha 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 yes yes i know yeah i know i know you're joking right right no but i mean i exactly like i i was so afraid of it for so long that even now as i'm like oh yeah i'm not intellectually afraid of it uh there's still there's like a four percent reaction in my body that's like oh god well at least i can always pull that ripcord uh you know at the very end of my life and say i believe in jesus again and that'll save me it's, it's interesting we we did an episode um our first episode back this season was on hell and the fear of hell mm. because it's such a, a theme that comes up with our listeners and our our Facebook group of it doesn't matter if someone's been out for two years 20 years 30 years it pops up mm. in the strangest of places so it it's not uh, it's certainly not uncommon yeah no I totally believe it I mean you you build this into kids so young and you know we're all we're all hardwired to make Fear-based memory is very important to us. So, of course, that creeps along with you. So, Ross and Carrie, one of the things that you talk about is you compare a lot of these different religious traditions that you explore and, and spiritual expressions as well, not just religious traditions. But how have you found these compare with Christianity or your experience of Christianity? I'll jump right in while Carrie contemplates her examples because there, there's so many. On, on one hand, we'll encounter a lot of groups that are branched off from Christianity. So it'll be interesting to see, like, for example, the Seventh-day Adventists. We went to this kind of end times lecture series. So it's really interesting to see kind of their understandings of certain Bible passages that had always been described differently or interpreted differently for me. And that's where, like, our podcast will turn into this real Bible geek podcast, because I love to talk about that stuff. But at the same time, we'll also join other religions that, you know, before I would have been taught either were cults or false or evil or something, something bad. You know, I should stay far away from them. And I would kind of traipse in like, well, I'm immediately thinking of the Self-Realization Fellowship. I recognize they've got this lineup of gurus, and I recognize Jesus in the lineup. And then, okay, I think that's Krishna, the one next to him, but who are these other people? You know, so I, I suddenly am learning a lot more about, like, uh, Hinduism uh, or, you know, other traditions, and kind of coming f at it from this Christian baked-in pre-understanding, which wasn't very broad or informed— and learning all about it. But then when I go to another group, like uh, one of our other favorite investigations was the Etheria Society, then I start to recognize these elements, uh, you know, of the Ascended Masters. Oh, that's from Theosophy. Okay, so they blended a little bit of that, uh, but then find other elements like, okay, that's borrowed from Christianity. Oh, and that's from here. So it's been really fun with 
uh, our podcasts and our regular investigations of a variety of different religious groups to just start seeing the trends, recognizing them, because nothing's really new or original in the religious landscape. It's all kind of remixes of other bits and pieces. Except Christianity, of course, which was original, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) No no one had done anything before that. Well, I mean, that's one of the really fun parts of coming out of Christianity is all of a sudden you get the non-pulpit, non-Sunday school version of Christian history. And it's, I think, very interesting because now you're learning kind of the greater context and all of the references in the Old Testament to other gods, you know, and, and not treating them as fake or invented, but actual real other gods. And you start to learn a bit about like Mesopotamian you know, span of gods that they had for every region and that there was this whole different religious landscape that the Bible authors were trying to fight out. They're trying to get rid of this polytheism and establish one God, which was actually kind of a new idea. And turns out that wasn't original to uh, the Jews either. That was like uh, an Egyptian thing. As far as we know, Akhenaten was the first uh, monotheist. So anyways, uh, yeah, that for me was a really fun part of coming out of Christianity is realizing, oh, it's not as original as I thought. I'll Bible geek out with you and say there's even traces of the unification of the different, what became Jews, um, the different nations, those tribes came together. And so a lot of the the different names for God, it is argued that they were actually different gods. So there oh, was the a pantheon. And the, yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a pantheon of these gods that all come together and become this one God. And there's still smatterings of that old polytheism in there. Right, that like Ashira was his consort, and you know the reason they're always busy smashing Ashira poles is because they're trying to get rid of this idea that God had a wife. Yeah, and you you can't have signs of the first wife <laughs> around the house. <laughs> yeah, the awkward, just awkward. So, Carrie, how about you? Have you got some of your favorite examples or, or favorite stories that you've done there? Yeah, well, when I think of how these different groups compare to Christianity. My first thought was to compare everybody as they stand today. So the Christian church in America today as compared to Scientology today. And then as I was thinking about that, I thought, oh, wait, that's not fair. We should actually be comparing the first generation of each religion to the first generation of that religion. And when you look at it that way, I start to see many groups that we investigate that are like Christianity. And I think of a spiritual leader named Shakuntali, who uh, runs this group where she convinces young women to follow her across the world and leave their families and uh, very abruptly give up all their belongings and do nothing but follow her. And she performs, quote unquote, miracles, but they're they're really just magic tricks. They're <laughs> things that uh, you know are, are well established, just little guru tricks. And the people who follow her think she's just magical and wonderful. And the people on the outside are saying, "Oh my God, you cut off your families! What are you doing?" And and I imagine this is exactly how it was <laughs> in the first generation of Christianity when Jesus was literally telling everyone to leave their families and follow him, and he was performing miracles that sound very much like magic tricks. I imagine it it was exactly the same, but now that it's been so much time has passed and it's the religion of my culture, it feels so completely different. 
and I, I, it makes me wonder if there's a type of person who joins a first generation religion and is that person a little different from someone who joins a latter day religion that's been around a long time and is the dominant religion of your culture that's a lot of thoughts but there they are if the bible is to be believed at least in part there is a verse or a group of verses where jesus's family turn up to him yeah and say what the fuck jesus what are you doing? And it says, and they thought he was mad, right? Talking about his own family. So, and we see signs of that. And you also see those verses where it's as if they've come to Jesus and said, you know, our family's saying this. And he says, oh, you got to hate your family, which sounds like Scientology. Oh, you got to hate your family. Yeah. Absolutely. Or worse. And that's where we, you know, get that whole phrase of like, you know, prophet is never recognized in his own country because, you know, everybody says, ah, that's the carpenter's son. <laughs> like, why should we listen to him? What's so special? Except Donald Trump. He's recognized in his own country as the prophet. Uh. He is. <laughs> we certainly all know his name. Yeah, there's hats. I've seen him. It's yeah. got to be hard for jury selection. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Part of that. So, how do you, I, I wonder? Like, how do you guys go? You you both come with with Christian baggage to your investigations. Thank so, you. Yes, <laughs> thank you. We've all got Christian baggage. <laughs> how do you how do you make sure that that's not tainting the outcomes of your your investigations or some of your thought processes, your comparative analyses? How does that work for you? Is that a conscious decision you have to make? That's a really good question. I you know, I think we have to just nod to it and just kind of say like, hey, the reason I really understand this piece of what they're saying is because I have a background with it. Um, and that's why I'm fixated, at, uh, fixated on it and riffing on it. Uh, but this other thing feels new to me. So, or, you know, I have this kind of pre-judging feel towards it that I have to overcome. So we'll at least talk it out, I think, on the podcast and make that part of the narrative. I'm not sure if this is the case for Ross or not, but I think it is. For me, the experience with Christianity was still is still largely positive in my memory. So I think being able to feel both things at the same time, oh, this was totally positive and good for me and gave me family and direction and wasn't true, um, has a sort of natural balancing effect. I think if if I were more mad at what had happened, it would be it would be harder to keep an open mind about other groups and where people are coming from. But yeah, I, it seems sort of naturally balanced in that way. Yeah, and that is true for me too. Yeah, it's funny because we're not like that at all. We're we're burnt and hurt, and, and that's our yeah, podcast sure. basically. But we try to take a really positive stance as well. Like one of the things that Brian is is a big believer in is you're drawing out the positive, and I, and I've learned that a lot from him. And I think our podcast, if we'd made this podcast ten years ago, it would just be another angry atheist pissed off podcast. Mm. Whereas now it's we welcome people, and and we own our own bullshit in, in all that as well. So, and I think that was one of the, the reasons why we wanted to have you guys on the podcast is because you do take a positive stance to this. It's not just about tearing down. I mean, you will happily tear down when it, what needs to be torn down, but you, you do take a positive stance. You do take a, what's the word I'm looking for? A friendly stance, I think is a good way to put yeah. it. I'm always happy to hear people say that because I think that's what we feel in our hearts and we hope comes across, but you know, we, we talk 
you know, a lot of different angles about all of these topics. And uh, every now and then we'll get some message from a person, you know, not as much lately, but, um, yeah. you know, every, every now and then someone will say, hey, you know, you've always been so nice and considerate. And then you were you were real jerks in this latest investigation. <laughs> you've totally changed as people. And we'll go, oh, have we? What? <laughs> and I don't know. I think maybe every now and then we just hit a certain tripwire for some people. Yeah, it's a good lesson in just how you can't you can't account for taste and you can't account for that exact listener's experience. Yeah, you know, we definitely try to go in being friendly. I think that probably the times where the hardest are on Christian groups because that's right. where our knowledge is very deep and you know, we know where the bodies are buried and <laughs> so that's that's easier to be a little snarky about and feel okay about it. Yeah, you know, when you don't when you know less about something, you kind of have less right to snark at it, I guess. And the Christian thing is a majority too. You know, there's a lot of power and it's mm -hmm. speaking to power sometimes, whereas some of these smaller groups, I guess, it's not so much like that. Hey, Brian, have you ever used HelloFresh? I have. We've got two boys at home. And one thing we always find is thinking of different meals is an absolute pain. But with HelloFresh, our meal ideas come to us. We just choose from the menu then as a family, we can get together and make them. So it's a bit of a family thing. How about you, Troy? Have you used it? Yeah, well, it doesn't matter if you're not a pro in the kitchen. My wife and my son, who are quite good in the kitchen, they just follow the foolproof recipes and then they arrive pre-portioned, easy to prepare in just a few steps. I love the fact there's very little, if no waste, particularly with teenage boys, but also the freshness of the ingredients. It really pops and it's a big difference. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Teenage16, use the code Teenage16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Teenage16 and use the code Teenage16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. Has this ever happened to you? I went to Sunday school every Sunday and now I can't hear a loud horn without having an anxiety attack. Hi. I'm recently deceased but never forgotten Christian music sex symbol Carmen. I'm calling Collect from the Big House, meaning heaven, not jail, to tell you how to get answers for your religious traumas. I started the excommunication station and now I realize my empathy felt weird when I was a kid and how the Council for National Policy, a shadowy Christian organization, controls just about fucking everything in America. So if you've been looking for answers, or if you've ever been on the outside wondering, hey, what's really going on in the church? These gobble ghouls have the info you need. So look up the excommunication station wherever you get your podcasts and all their socials under XCOMPOD. Peace be with you. Hey, Troy, I would like to give a huge shout out to our Patreon supporters. So you should, Brian, because we do love our Patreon subscribers. Our Patreon subscribers get a range of benefits, including free merch, access to our exclusive subscribers group, and a monthly live video call with us. All proceeds go towards the running and promotion cost of the podcast. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash IWATF or see our Linktree URL in the show notes. Hashtag fucking blessed. I do have a question for you both, though, which may be a little bit, it may be a little bit soon, but and forgive me if it is, but I do want to know, have you come across anything where you've gone, actually, we can't explain that. What do we do with that? 
certainly there are things that we'll, we'll like, but you asked about things we can't explain. The, the first idea that comes to my mind is uh, we attended the School of Hypnotherapy and kind of went back a few times, attended a few of their classes. And our take was, you know, we don't, we don't buy their explanation of the brain and what it's doing, um, but we think there are some useful practices here for dealing with certain issues. And, and we tried to constrain that, but I'm still like, I kind of understand that hypnotherapy and hypnosis are not supernatural, but I don't have a really good understanding of how, like what the mechanism is. And like, you know, I had the teacher do the thing to me where he had me, uh, he was telling me something and my hand slowly raised and I didn't realize it until I opened my eyes and that, that creeped me out. You know, like, what? That's an example that comes to mind. Like, oh, wow, I don't understand the mechanism here. I do understand it's a mechanism. How about you, Karen? So I guess I'm I'm asking myself, what's the difference here between unexplained and unexplainable? I think it, in all of the cases where we would list something that we, quote unquote, can't explain, we we wouldn't jump to it is inexplicable. We would assume, oh, this is probably something some expert somewhere can explain. But me, Carrie, sitting in this room with the information I've got, not pulling out my phone to Google like a weirdo, I don't know exactly what's going on in this moment. Um, those happen plenty of times. Uh, and, and sometimes I'll have what feels like a spiritual experience in the room, and I'll find it later in my notes and be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> we were at, uh, we went to an ayahuasca center in Costa Rica where I didn't even do the ayahuasca, Ross did, but we were going to all of these different talks and uh, they all had this very inspirational spiritual component. And something that someone said, and I don't remember what it was now, made me shake. And I wrote down like, I'm shaking. This is so on the nose. This is so on, uh, this is exactly right. I can't believe they I don't know how to explain this. And then later I looked at it and was like, this is this is gobbledygook. The thing that impressed you in this moment is not impressive. And so it was explainable. Like later it was totally clear to me, but it was unexplained in the moment. But I think even if you had walked up to me at the ayahuasca clinic while I was shaking and writing that down and said, Carrie, do you believe there's a God now? I think I still would have said no. I was just having that sort of... You know, that real emotional jacked up experience that only only spiritual communities can quite provide. Uh, it's always interesting to talk to people of faith because they'll often have sort of one linchpin in their lives, like this one thing that happened or maybe two things, you know, that really sealed the deal for them. All they needed was one or two experiences where they felt the reality of the supernatural, something like you posited in your question, like that they could not explain. And that's enough to like anchor years and years of church going and tithe giving and all of that because they had this and oftentimes like you'll you'll kind of press them just to say hey oh what was it can you explain that to me and sometimes they'll be a little evasive about it and they'll say well you know i i was convinced i saw something that can't be explained and i feel like there's like a, a subtle admission there that they realize it, it won't sound good when they say it <laughs> it's so when you ask them like well Tell me, what was it? Oftentimes, uh, I feel like it falls into some discrete categories. Oftentimes, it's like a, a coincidence story. And mm -hmm. I, I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I had a family member who kind of responded and told a story about like severe back pains and then those going away. And then uh, around the same time, praying, 
that he that uh, that he would see somebody that uh, he had felt bad because he'd offended, and then that person was right there when he parked his car the next day, and. So we had that conversation. It's like, all right, well, that's that's a lovely human moment, but none of that required the supernatural, but that it happened like close to the back pain relief. And like, there we go. That's it. I'm sold for life. I feel like we also have amazing coincidences, but because we have this sort of framework to just enjoy when the quote unquote universe aligns, we can just mm-hmm. say, well, that was cool. I really enjoyed that. Wow. How fun. Okay. Moving on with my life. But then you have certain things that, um, sorry, you just, you asked a question that sparked a really interesting uh, topic for me. I'm really interested also in another category, which is that physical correlates of spirituality, like things that feel to your body like spiritual experience and unexplainable. A lot of that can be drug induced, uh, but it can come from other sources as well, um, like Another thing, kind of like hypnosis, that I'd have a hard time explaining the mechanism exactly was the one and only time I spoke in tongues. And it didn't come easily to me. And I was in a big room with one of these kind of bodybuilder ministers who's going around and got to the point where everybody else was slain in the spirit and speaking in tongues, but me and a few other standing people. And he came and bunked me on the forehead. And people caught me as I fell down speaking in tongues. And it came out. You know, I can point to the repeated mantra, again, to compare Christianity with another faith tradition that I was saying, you know, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I was probably lightheaded. I was probably tired and fatigued. There was music going on. Music is powerful and can add to all of this. So I can kind of point to sort of the soup of factors, but I still can't say exactly why that worked in that moment. So hope that's an answer. I've got to ask you quickly, was that the power team? Is that who Uh, that was? It was radical reality. Okay, so power team knockoff. <laughs> yeah, very much related to. Yeah, I don't know who came first in that whole thing, but it was recently spoofed on. Oh, uh, what's that show? Sorry, I'm going to refer to. Wait, Righteous Gemstones. That's it. Okay, my wife was all ready to tell me. Uh, <laughs> Righteous Gemstones on HBO. Uh, they they spoofed that power team thing with the bodybuilders for Christ, which is so absurd. Yeah, and and they would blow up water bottles like hot water bottles and, and explode yeah. them and stuff. That's what they used to do. All for Jesus. How can you amazing. explain this? You can't do this about God. Yeah, my guys would uh, rip telephone books. They would uh, break break bricks with their bare fists, like stacks of bricks. They would curl frying pans and uh, various other feats of strength. And the assumption was, never explicitly stated, but the assumption was Christ gave them that strength, not their big muscles that they had. Uh, yeah, man, Samson, and they none of them get haircuts. That was the um, <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. what Bart, Bart Ehrman. We had Bart Ehrman, the biblical mm. scholar. Um, oh, excellent! Yeah, he we're fans. On, yeah, so were we, and I was fanboying hard when we interviewed him. Um, but he was talking about the muscular Jesus and the Jesus of Revelation. And when you think about it, this Jesus, you know, Jesus gave me the power to tear phone books and blow up hot water bottles and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Compare and contrast that with turn the other cheek and mm. you know don't live mm. he who lives by the sword will die by the sword and and all that it's it nobody stops to think at the moment you just you just get caught up in it it's fun yeah i think that's the the lasting power of jesus is that he's infinitely uh reinterpretable like you can just make any version of jesus you want and there's just enough scripture to back it up ross don't put god in a box 
That's that, that's that's what we yeah yeah let go and let God Ross let go and let God. I'm saying the box contains many boxes that he can move freely between. <laughs> this is very true, and that, that's all the shit that I think you guys are probably too young for this. But um, the Toronto blessing, you know, Troy and I, oh, sure, we, we were right in the middle of it. I mean, that that was defining yeah. moments for both of us. I it caused me to leave fundamentalist Christianity. And mm. Troy pressed mm. into it for a time. Yeah, I, you- I embraced it because prior to joining the Assemblies of God, I had dabbled in some substances. And I think I was just wide open to suggestion, you know. So I, I loved it. You know, I was falling down and shaking and all that kind of stuff. And and I look back now. Look, even before I left Christianity, I was embarrassed. I can understand what you're saying, Carrie. I look back now. I mean, I can remember. I'm, I'm going to put this out here. I can remember lying on the ground having a moment with Jesus where I was simulating giving birth because mm. in my oh yeah, yeah oh. this is this is Toronto blessing all right please don't judge yeah. me but this this is what I was doing and I was simulating <laughs> giving birth and in my mind I was thinking this is because God is calling me to start something new Wow. Okay. Justification. Yeah. yeah. I'm judging. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. I know you're judging. You're judging the hell out of me. I remember, I remember when um, Richard Dawkins was on the Freedom from Religion Foundation and Dan Barker was actually telling him about how he used to hear from God and you could just hear Richard Dawkins <laughs> judging the shit out of Dan Barker yeah. and Dan Barker's going, but I don't anymore, but I don't anymore. So I just want to say <laughs> I don't give birth anymore, but I do drive a Tesla. <laughs> You're reminding me of a couple of things. Well, first of all, I I had been affected by the Toronto blessing without knowing its name until uh, we read the book uh, of and interviewed Alice Gretchen, who wrote a book called um, Spiritual Wayward. Warfare. Was it said again. Wayward. Wayward. That's right. A memoir of uh, yes, a spiritual. Well, anyways, she came out of fundamentalism, and um, she. Uh, was directly involved with the Toronto blessing and tell, hearing her stories of being slain in the spirit, uh, you know, it all sounded so familiar. And I hadn't even realized that that movement had also influenced me from afar. If you want to get into that, there's a really good podcast, um, which is called Heaven Bent, which comes out of Canada by a very dear friend of ours. Um, her name is Tara Jean Stevens, and she has done a whole series on the Toronto Blessing. She's Canadian herself. Hmm. Um, there's even connections to Justin Bieber being involved in oh, the Toronto right. Blessing, all kinds right. of stuff. So I really want right. to recommend that podcast. It's called Heaven oh, Bent. Excellent. You wrote it down. And you, you reminded me of another thing talking about comparing and contrasting with other religious traditions. Uh, when you were talking about kind of metaphorically giving birth and this is the birth of something new. we I, I, I never use the word metaphor, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, I, I'm I was being charitable. <laughs> okay, you were literally giving birth. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we encountered this group called uh, Pi Hop, and it was the Pasadena International House of Prayer, and there are other international houses of prayer. And they would uh, bring us like downstairs to a basement, and they would pull us into an enclosed room and give us <laughs> these readings, uh, just kind of based on our name, riffing on our appearance, just you know, they were being led by the spirit to say things that were important to us. And because I had ventured outside of the Christian faith and Carrie and I had gone to see psychics, we recognized this as a cold reading and the same thing as like a tarot reading. And it was just so weird to see it within the church because normally that would be verboten, uh, but they had integrated it uh, as this like forth telling from the Lord. And it was just the weirdest syncretism. 
We used to call that giving words. We used to do it all the time. It was giving words. You were obviously in a different brand of Assemblies of God to us because our brand of Assemblies of God, that happened all the time. And it was constantly. But we we were encouraged to do it ourselves. So we'd go up to people and say, hey, I've got a word for you, brother. And, And that's when you would start to. Manipulate, Just speak them. shit, and and yeah, manipulate <laughs> them, and totally. And you would watch their faces, wouldn't you? And you'd see is is this landing? Is this not landing? And depending on the person, I feel like that could be very encouraging or super annoying. <laughs> well, this is that's true. This is so interesting, though, about um, your own level of sincerity here. Because one thing Ross and I point out all the time is that it's it can be a losing battle to guess whether someone is being honest with you or not, because most people are somewhere in a middle space in these situations. And you're describing a situation where I assume you still felt like you were in contact with God, you were doing something for God, but you had some access to that awareness that oh, I'm putting this on a little bit. Yeah, well, remembering I was lying on the ground giving birth, so I did some wacky shit. Yeah, yeah you believed you were the mouthpiece of God and you were okay, delivering a yeah. message to these people and you were encouraged, you were actually coached to do mm. it. both Troy and I went to Bible college he was better at it wow. he he completed it um I didn't but you were encouraged and coached how to actually give somebody a word and yeah quite often wow. you would you would pick someone generally that's a higher vulnerability you knew their stance mm-hmm. in the group you knew that they were maybe a bit of an outlier or an outcast and it was something about you know god wants you to press in he wants you to be part of you know you, you just i could do one now you know and, and it, i i bet you were taught to yes, do that yay Oh, oh, Carrie's excited. Okay, I was just going to say that I bet you were taught to do that, like who to single out without ever being explicitly told like, hey, we're looking for people who are kind of marginalized. Totally, or, totally. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a hierarchy in the group. Like you would never give a word up into the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah. the words always came down. Okay. I, I just want to say, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not in defense, but just to like kind of explain uh, my version of Assemblies of God, we would have regularly shouted out during a church service, someone would start speaking loudly in tongues, someone else then would give an interpretation, like they would <laughs> then say... <laughs> oh, this is like a regular wow. occurrence. And, uh, you know, they would start shouting out, you know, I I am the Lord your God and you are my children and you are under my wing and I have you. I, Do I not look to the left or to the right. Yeah, Stay oh, on the narrow all, all road, of those things. verily. And, and that was seen as the exact interpretation of the thing that had just been said in tongues. Uh, maybe I would see it done person to person, but yeah, that wasn't something we were taught or that I And did. it was always in Elizabethan English too. I don't know about yours, <laughs> but it was always King James kind of, yay, verily, the Lord would say to you this day that there is no, do not look to the left or to the right, but what, yeah, I could do that for you now. Which just makes me wonder, how did Joseph Smith do that? How did he speak in King James English? <laughs> This is all making me think of this this trait called absorption that psychologists, research psychologists talk about this trait, absorption, which is basically how caught can you get in your own thoughts? And some people can get so caught in their own thoughts, especially people with neurodivergences are especially good at this. People with ADD and autism are especially good at it. But getting caught in your in your own thoughts to where nothing else around you even quite sticks if you have a if you have a high propensity toward that, then you have a high false memory risk, but you also have high playing along abilities because you're just sort of able to go there so easily. So a lot of actors and actresses will have, have high absorption. A lot of people who respond in exorcisms will have high absorption. And and Troy, the real Troy, 
I, I wonder if you um, have that and, you know, that's why these things felt so real to you. Totally and utterly. I, I, it's it's funny because I've been asking myself, I've been listening to some stuff on neurodivergence in, in mm. fundamentalism recently and I'm sort mm. of going, oh, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know how that pans out. But totally, I am so open to suggestion and, I mean, I, I went to Toronto meetings and Rodney Howard Brown meetings where I would just, I can remember I reached out and grabbed the the righteous gemstone style preacher who walked past me from I grabbed the back of his leg from behind and just completely collapsed and fell on the ground and woke up later going wow and I I I just realize now that that's who I am and that's why I have a better time on acid than a lot of people well (laughs) and that gives me a a little insight into the story of the the woman touching uh the hem of Jesus's garment Yeah, well, that's what we did with Bart Ehrman, didn't we? We touched the hem of his garment because he was just <laughs> awesome. And he felt the power go out of him. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We felt the belief drain out of us. It's an interesting thing, though, like the the whole word in church, because it would happen for us every Sunday. But it was the same person giving the word, and their tongue sounded exactly the same every single mm-hmm. week. But someone <laughs> would have a different interpretation every week. So that was interesting. Yeah, seat buckler, seat buckler, buckler, seat, yep. seat buckler. Was. Hey, Brian, I want to ask you, you said a moment ago, in terms of giving a word, you said, I could do one now. Yeah. Do you yes. Do one now? Yeah, Carrie wants this. Well, you know, I, I, I could say, you know, Ross, I'm just feeling that, you know, you've, you've, you've let go of God. You, you've, you've let your scepticism take over. And I feel mm. that the scales, you know, need to fall from your eyes. That Jesus is there. He's waiting for you. And what you've done is you've, you've really passed him by and he doesn't pass you by. He's waiting for you, Ross. I mean, if what you've got to do is press in. You've just got to open your heart, Ross. Jesus is waiting for you. He wants you. Don't let this moment pass. Another moment may not come. And then you don't know where your destination is. Thank, wow. Thank yeah, you. That, wow. wow. Oh, that, that cut me to the quick. It wasn't the yeah, Beautiful Pastor Brian. That was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking to that theme of uh, neurodivergence, uh, I think Carrie had pointed out something to me earlier that like, you know, for people who have maybe OCD or like a particular flavor of like scrupulosity, uh, the whole messaging around hell can land so much harder you know, because they're like, oh, okay, this is real. This is a threat I have to deal with. I have to prepare for. I have to think this out. I have to make sure I'm doing everything I possibly can to not go to this place because it's real. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was my my teenagehood. I feel like the Lord's speaking to me because scrupulosity came on my radar just a few days ago, and you've just said it again. See, coincidences so, aren't yeah, coincidences. No, no yeah. I, don't, I don't think this is a coincidence. <laughs> I think this is the Lord. So, excuse me, I'm just going to drop off this call. What does it's it more mean? like a synchronicity? <laughs> what does it mean in Hebrew? What's That's right. What's the real meaning of the word? Oh, when Jesus said he's coming soon, what, what's <laughs> the Greek for soon? The Greek for soon is a thousand years. Is a day. Oh, my God. Oh, but it's been 2,000 years now, so it's still not soon. Nice. <laughs> It's only two days. Oh, so okay. A day is just a thousand years, bro. Any minute now. Any minute now. <laughs> Any minute. It's all, coming. All these, all these checks that will never be cashed. You can uh, take heart that you can never be as late as Jesus is. oh i love that if i waited my whole life i still wouldn't be as late as jesus (laughs) exactly (laughs) that was actually the straw that broke the camel's back for me in the end that was what that was my fine the final nail in my coffin when i was deconverting i actually 
came to this point of it's a no show, you know. And 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 when I realized yeah. this, I read read our articles on it and stuff, and it was like I've thought this the whole time and never allowed myself to really think it or really say uh-huh. it out loud. And so when uh-huh. I did, that was yeah, that was the final nail in the coffin for my faith. Yeah, yeah. There's so much emphasis put on the promises of God. And then there's no allowance for any interpretation that the promises don't come to fruition. Uh, but you have all of these uncashed checks that sit around. And so many of them are promises for the afterlife that you can never get verification of happened. You just assume they have for the righteous believers who have died, that they are now in the pearly, ble- pearly gates or, you know, on the fluffy clouds playing their harps, whatever they're doing, standing around the throne. You know, in, in the same way, all of the uh, uncashed checks of Jesus coming back and, uh, you know, miracles in your own life. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a hard pill to swallow when you finally realize, oh, none of this actually had to be supernatural uh, for me to believe. It's supernatural if you're within that system and being constantly reinforced that it's supernatural. And it, it relies so heavily on that, doesn't it? Now, I think that quite often that's why we, we have this system, particularly within fundamentalism, where it keeps you so busy. Like it keeps you busy with a Bible study or two mm. every week. It, it has your your prayer meetings. It'll have your youth group on a, a Saturday, which sadly some people in their 40s are still going to youth group. And then Sunday it's like you've, you've got to come at least twice yep. because that's the only way you get it reinforced. So if someone right. – and, and, you know, you get these labels thrown at you. You're a backslider if you go away. So it's not favourable. But like once you learn the basics of evolution, you don't have to go back every week to be like, wait, tell me again how that works. <laughs> because, you know, you kind of get it and you move on with life. Shoot, you were saying mm. something earlier that was making me think, oh, yeah, we, we were talking about uh, the speaking in tongues and how uh, you were saying, uh, Troy, that it would sound the same each time. And I remember having this thought in the back of my head, oh, wow, I really hope I get an opportunity in my life. Or this would be really fun to... Uh, record these and then the explanations of the messages and kind of work backwards to the language of the angels. Like I thought this was something philologically that that you could do and like decode the language. And it was kind of like mentally on my project list, like, oh, I want to do this someday. Uh, But like you're all saying, (laughs) you're kept so busy that you never quite get to that point. Yeah. And that's the exact kind of thing that you would pitch at church and they would probably discourage it <laughs> you yeah. know like, giving I remember having, lie to the having fact they know it's fake like that. right exactly yeah. yeah i'd have impulses i don't know similar thoughts where like oh we, we should do this this is exactly what the bible says and then get a response that made me realize oh you're not taking this as seriously as i am right like it, it sits in a different space in your head yeah i'm always interested to sort of reflect on the level of maturity and maybe it's me being arrogant but uh, but I see quite often when people that I've known for a lot of my life who have stayed in fundamentalism like there's a, a real lack of maturity in some areas of their life like mm. because mm-hmm. they have to close off part of their life they have to close off mm-hmm. their ability mm-hmm. to critically think so that doesn't just translate into their their christian world it translates into their broader world and i think there's there's something happening there that it's it's almost like it's self-reinforcing because it keeps them in there and they keep it, they're doing it to themselves because they're caught into this system who causes them to do it 
Yeah, I, I agree. Like there's a, a form of arrested development happening there developmentally, you know, where you're just not being encouraged to uh, develop certain skills, but uh, or maybe just by uh, atrophy, you're being taught to emphasize others. But, uh, you know, I'll still say like, I know lots of people within the church, even in my family, who I'd say are like, thoroughly rational about every other aspect of their lives. They won't fall for scams. I'm not worried about that. You know, they're appropriately critical, but they've kind of created this walled garden for certain concepts that that don't get touched by that same scrutiny. And I, it was said really well by a friend of mine who is a former Mormon and didn't get out till he was in his mid-30s that he said he had discovered Carl Sagan, he was reading The Demon Haunted World, and he was kind of internally making fun of all these other beliefs and ideas that just sounded so absurd, and then finally had this realization, wait a second, I really am uncomfortable at the thought of this touching on my Mormonism. I do not want the same level of scrutiny pointed there. And he kind of leaned Mm. into that discomfort, and that's how he got out. It's funny you say that because that's exactly what happened to me, but in reverse. I became, as a fundamentalist- You're a Mormon became, now. No, well, <laughs> no, but I did I did dabble with the idea at one stage because I was researching all these different religions as a fundamentalist Christian to show that they were false. And with Mormonism, <laughs> there was so many contradictions because they're very text-based, right? So they're all about their, their Book of Mormon and- doctrines and covenants and all these other books and there's a lot of contradictions and there's a lot of errors because it's obviously a human-made document and when I came back to my own Christianity and started seeing that I was extremely uncomfortable and and genuinely that was one of the things that it was like tooth decay my my faith crumbled from the inside out because I wasn't consciously admitting to it but Mm -hmm. there was a Mm -hmm. part of me that was going this is you know you, you can't reject these other religions as false based on this criteria and then not do it to your own. And eventually it all came, it all came tumbling down. And that's where I think it's really important that sort of comparative religion or even Mm -hmm. I think, Uh I think you find that a lot of the apologists, when they do deconstruct, man, they deconstruct hard because they've got all this stuff that's just been Mm -hmm. waiting there that they've sort of put aside. Totally. Yeah. You, you said the right thing there, like the religious, a comparative religion course, you know, that is the death knell of fundamentalism, because mm-hmm. as soon as you start seeing people or especially meeting people and realizing, oh, they're just nice, normal people. They're not horrible. They're not plotting the destruction of the world. They're just navigating through life like I am. And they seem to be doing A-OK with their mutually exclusive beliefs. Uh, you know, the whole thing breaks down. And I always love meeting someone who was raised in a family where, oh, well, my mom was this and my dad was that. It's like, okay, well, you weren't long for either one of those because <laughs> you, you could see, okay, I love these two people. They love me. They're A-OK. I don't fear them. And yet they have different beliefs. Ah, I get it. I see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why a lot of religions actually condemn or even discourage into you know intermarriage with people of other faiths. Yes, don't be unequally do, yoked. Do not be unequally yoked, brother. Amen. <laughs> I remember when we did our Mormon investigation, which was over a decade ago now. Uh, the the elders who interfaced with us and were trying to get us to join the church. One of them made an argument that it was the true church because it is the most persecuted church. And Ross <laughs> and I just looked at each other like, "Well, no, you're not." <laughs> you know. <and> like, <laughs> Turn back to them and tried to, in our politest way, say like, 
Well, no, you know, Scientology is less popular than you. Here's a, here are several cults everyone has heard of that are less popular than you guys. You're a fairly mainstream religion, not as popular as Presbyterianism, but no, you know, and, and they were both just so flummoxed. Just <laughs> wait, wait, really? You guys have been out there, really? So, so when you go talk to someone, you think that you could say my friend Keith is a Mormon and my friend Jeff is a Scientologist and they would think Jeff is weirder. And we're like, yeah, yeah, really? And it, it just, <laughs> nothing like that had ever crossed their path. You know, it's that it's that closed off. I have a contingent of my family that's Mormon. And so one of my cousins-in-law happens to teach for Brigham Young University. And he reached out to me on Facebook once. We were talking about other things, but he knows I'm not a believer anymore, even in uh, Christianity. And he said, hey, why is it that like atheists and Christians can kind of gang up and make fun of Mormonism all the time? That's seen as okay. And I said, oh, well, you know, the same reason you and I could have a really fun conversation uh, about Scientology, where we would agree on all points, because that's an even more recent religion. And we could kind of say, oh, that L. Ron Hubbard, he was a science fiction author. Isn't that absurd? And he said, I've got to think about that for a while. And <laughs> didn't hear from him for another year and a half. And then it was something else. So I don't, I don't know if he chewed on that much or what, but it stopped him in the moment. Yeah, maybe the while is still happening. You should have reminded him that Mormons have magic underwear. I mean, <laughs> case in point, they wear their, their magic pant. Or ask, or ask him to maybe go and, you know, have a deep conversation about this with his wives. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy, my uh, my aunt recently was telling my dad that, well, Joseph Smith may have had multiple wives, but he didn't consummate those marriages. And my dad turned to me and said, hey, I would love a good refutation of that. So actually, that's kind of on my current to-do list is to write my dad sort of a, a bit of why we know that Joseph Smith slept with uh, multiple of his wives. But it, it's an interesting bit of whitewashing that seems to be popular now. Other way, it's bad. So he had one wife and then four or five slaves that he didn't consummate with. I mean, God. It's... Oh, it was more than four or five, man. It was... 39, 38, yeah, somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah, Fuck. And he had kids with these people too. There's, yeah, there's, and, and they're not illegitimate, right? Because he was married to them. Um, yeah. Uh, immaculate conception, Troy. I mean, it's happened oh, before. No, no, he was banging them. He was banging them. He was married to them. But one thing Carrie and I refer to often on the podcast is this veil of time. That's what we call it, where, you know, we know a lot about L. Ron Hubbard and we have enough contemporary information to debunk his telling of his military service and his blood brothership with a certain Native American tribe. You know, like we can kind of look at all of these and be like, all right, that doesn't pan out. That doesn't pan out. Joseph Smith, a little further back in time, but we still mm -hmm. like can see him getting sued for having uh, lied to other people about finding gold with the same types of seeing stones that he used later to read the uh, the plates, you know, that never materialized. So like, you know, you still have enough damning information that's contemporary. Uh, but the farther back you go in time, uh, the harder that becomes that you don't have those contemporary sources and you get a little bit of uh, added boost and credibility just from the veil of time, removing our ability to sort of see you in that light. So guys, like we're obviously geeking out with you on this and this is a lot of fun. I got a question for you. How do other people in your lives respond to this, let's call it a passion, not an obsession, with <laughs> things, spiritual, religious, debunking? 
Well, certainly uh, much of my family still prays for me all the time and wants me to come back. And, and they didn't say it for a while, but I've heard it voiced even that their thought is that at some point I will come back to Jesus and I'll be the most amazing evangelist ever because, you know, I have all of this. I've journeyed far and wide and wrong-headedly, and I'm going to come back. So so there's that response. And yet also a lot of my family will listen to and support my podcast. Uh, you know, even those who are believers will be proud of me for it. So um, I'll take it. Uh, I don't understand it fully, but I like it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I feel totally embraced for my particular obsessions. So it doesn't really pose a problem. It's I mean, my my parents, like I said, weren't religious when I was growing up. So there's no particular peeling away going on there. I think everyone just sort of sees it as my my little weird thing. People definitely love to give me books by psychics. I don't know what that is exactly, but like if anybody goes to a thrift store and sees any book by you know so and so talks to so to their grandparent beyond the grave. I am absolutely getting that. <laughs> Every person I know buys me those things. Like people kind of get a kick out of having this little ancillary connection to the show and um, having something to do with these little weird curios that appear uh, in our culture. But I don't know. To me, it's like that's that's the exciting stuff. Like that. <laughs> I don't know who passes by those things and doesn't pick them up, you know? So I guess that just means I, I really do love it. I kind of, I'm, I'm glad we chose this subject matter because we won't run out and we haven't run out of enthusiasm either. I'm keen to get your observations. I mean, we obviously see things from afar, but you guys are embedded within the States and what's all happening there. What What do you see the future of where fundamentalism or Christianity more broadly is going because it seems to be getting more extreme and particularly within the States, it seems to be getting more and more extreme. Yeah, this isn't good. (laughs) You know, I am kind of worried for the future. It depends on the day and where I'm looking because I can also think of really positive trends and uh, the influence of media like your podcasts and ours and uh, you know, the, the the tools are available everywhere for people to get out, and they do. I feel like there's more horizontal transmission of ideas uh, than there is mm-hmm. vertical, like from generation to generation. So even though, you know, quote unquote, they are having more babies, um, the ideas are spreading faster. But at the same time, going back to the pessimistic side, uh, you have this divorce from facts, from evidence, from expertise. Uh, and so much of this is tied into the political landscape. And there's just this huge swath of America. And, you know, we see this elsewhere in the world uh, where people have really found ways to remove themselves from the dialogue where they won't even have the conversation anymore. And that freaks me out. That that makes me a little pessimistic. So there you go. There's some optimism and some pessimism. <laughs> yeah, God, fundamentalism. I don't even know if it's on the rise. I guess it's it's a question that I, I would like just turn to a sociologist and ask and accept the answer. So I I really don't know what will happen there. I I definitely worry about the polarization of of American dialogue and I assume uh, around the world, but my view is certainly American. That even on my side of the political spectrum, you know, I consider myself pretty left of center. There is this attitude right now of just let's ice out the opposition. The way that we're going to get ahead is to not let those other people have any purchase in um, the social landscape and 
We're going to uh, keep raising that social cost, keep raising the social cost of being a bad person. I just don't think this works. I think that that you just, you make sure that that other person finds someone else to be a friend with. And if it's not going to be you, it's going to be someone with ideas like theirs. And I, I just think that's really dangerous. I think that we should really be willing to talk to people with views that we find awful. And we should be able even to be friends with people whose views we find awful. And we should be willing to find the good parts of those people. And that, yeah, that that's where my worry lies. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Look, I, I do think that broadening of your view is something that, that helps you grow. But there's just such a stunting, I think, within that that fundamentalist space, that, that that's the thing I worry about. I mean, Australia is probably, you know, I mean, we've certainly seen it more and we've seen religion, particularly fundamentalism, trying to find its way into politics more. We had a Pentecostal prime minister for three years until recently, which was really interesting because he would deny a lot of things and then video evidence would come out like he was like, I've never been to Hillsong. And there he's standing on the, the stage with Brian and Bobby Houston getting prayed for. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was uh, fairly damning evidence. Some of his leadership style was very much like an AOG pastor, wasn't it? It, totally. Yeah, absolutely. He all but gave words to people. It was it was a bit frightening, but people saw through it. And I think in, in Australia, we're largely a secular society. So we were founded as a penal colony, you know. We weren't founded <laughs> by pilgrims trying to find a, a better place. So it's it's a very different scene here, I think. But fundamentalisms, it's definitely taken hold. I'm not sure if it's growing. I don't, I'd be interested to know. I know it's the fastest growing religion, Pentecostalism, but I'm not quite mm. sure of it, its impact it, uh, here. So hopefully we can limit the impact. Uh, Carrie and I uh, have been talking about this book called uh, Fantasyland. Kurt Anderson, is that the author? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where he talks about kind of that, you know, 500-year history of, uh, you know, European influence in North America and the American, the United States of America specifically, and how we've been such a breeding ground for fantasy and taking it so seriously and let it take hold. And I thought of that as we were talking to you, because we were talking about Ken Ham. He's from Australia, but he, did, he didn't build the ark there. He came to Kentucky and he built it there because that's the fertile ground. But of course, we can point to examples all over the world. And I think our chief export as the United States is culture. And so that aspect is certainly caught on uh, around the world. Yeah, man. And for what it's worth, our podcast, our American audience is now bigger than our local Australian audience wow. because oh, well okay. because that's where that's where they grow fundamentalists is is in the US <laughs> so so it sort of makes sense oh, right and plus like like you were saying that the mother culture for fundamentalism was the US so you know the preachers that we listened to the books that we read the music that we listened to mm. I mean we we listened to you know stuff on DC Talk and we listened to stuff on uh, like yeah. you know <laughs> Keith Green and Kenneth yep. Copeland and all that these are the names that influenced us so whilst we are in Australia and there is an Australian lens and an Australian experience it's still very much part of the Americanism of of fundamentalism for sure your yeah. uh, your your line that we grow them here made me think like, well, a true fundamentalist like Champagne has to come from the fundamental valley of Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly right. Ken Ham could have given it a crack here because Australia is, I don't know if you know much about this, but 
we are the home of big things. We we like to build large monuments to things that so in Queensland we have mm. the giant pineapple. In a place called Coffs Harbour, which is known for its banana growing, we have the big banana. Oh. Oh yeah. We have um there's the big merino. The big merino which is a big sheep. Yes, yeah. in Goulburn. Oh, of course. Yes. And what else do we have? Oh, we have the big lobster in a place called Robe in South Australia. And we did have a big Ayers Rock, which was very small Ayers Rock, ironically. <laughs> as a, but we, yeah, I hope not as big as the original. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. But um, so he could have given it a crack here, but I don't think Australians would have gone for it because of its religious theme. Because we we just we generally mm. don't do that shit here. I mean, it, it's it's very mm. different, and Australians quite often call bullshit on things. I mean, there, mm. there's obviously your, your proportion of people who actually get pulled into this stuff. And I think, you know, spirituality as a whole is people are inquisitive and they're looking at these different things. But as a whole, we call bullshit. And, uh, and I think some things come up. Um, for me, it was Toronto Blessing that I just went, oh, I'm calling bullshit and I'm going. But some other people just see these particular points in time and call bullshit on it. I think there's there's hope in those stories. Like, I think a good thing to remember when you're asking yourself, like, how do I help other people out of this is to look back at your own story and say, well, what happened to me? How did I get out? What, you know, what is the narrative there? And I think usually it's information, you know, it, relationship usually helps. But, you know, there's this this sort of myth that if you if you give if you fight back on someone's point of view, that's actually going to make it stronger in some way. And there's going to be this backfire effect. And I don't really think that's true. I think that we are all vulnerable to good sounding information. When we hear it, it is hard to stand up to, to, to counter evidence that hits home, you know? And if you just keep doing that, if you keep being there for people, being kind to your friends and family and, and providing those, you know, rational explanations, I, I don't know. I've just seen it time and a time and time again work as long as the the person giving the the rational side of things is patient and kind and doesn't blow up on them, doesn't act superior. It just eventually seems to win people over. This is just how we're built. We're looking for evidence all the time and I just don't think we should be afraid to give it. Wise wise sage words. Carrie and Ross, and I've intentionally turned that around and not said Ross and Carrie. <laughs> what comes next for you guys? What's on the what's on the horizon? You say you're never gonna run out of content. It's funny, I was saying to a friend of mine yesterday, I said, I'm doing a religion, I'm doing a podcast on a two thousand year old religion. I'm never gonna run out of content. Uh. What, what's happening for you guys? What's happening next? What can we look forward to? Well, we just recently attended for the third year the Conscious Life Expo in Los Angeles, uh, which is just the gift that keeps on giving because they do the work for us, bringing spiritualists of many, many stripes, you know, from crystal healers to alien contactees to weight loss fanatics. But like, uh, it all comes to the Hilton in Los Angeles by the airport, and we get to go there and meet all of these people that would have cost us a lot of money to go see, like, you know, Twin Ray from Oregon. So uh, we've got some fun stuff coming from there. I don't know. What else can we tease, Carrie? My dog is in the final stages of her life, and I just got a reading from a pet psychic about her prognosis. Yes, yes. Thumbs up indeed. 
So we'll uh, we'll see how the psychic's predictions match up with with um, Ella's actual health. Um, my spoiler there would be not very well. It does not match up very well. And uh, I recently went to Scotland and got to visit Loch Ness and look for Nessie. So I've got to tell Carrie about that at some point. So yeah, we got we got some fun stuff. Also, we're going to do a, a follow up on the Ark to look at some of their legal wranglings and financial dealings. There's some good stories there. One of the things that I really liked about your podcast when I discovered it was an amazing back catalog of topics. And it's it was really cool to look through and go, that's interesting, it's download, that's interesting, download, and scroll through. So I had this whole huge oh, list, yeah, of of these of these episodes. So I want to encourage people nice. to explore your podcast that way. Um, oh, definitely awesome. help you drive your downloads and be listening to the new episodes, of course. But tell us how do we find Ross and Carrie? How do we connect with Ross and Carrie? Thank you. And you know, I'll, I'll just interject to say, first of all, I appreciate you doing that because. I never like telling people to listen to my show. That just feels like a weird act to be like, hey, check out my podcast. But like I had someone at work recently and we were talking about Scientology and this person was saying they had family members that they didn't want to um, make uncomfortable, but they had no way of really learning more. And so I said, oh, well, you might want to listen to the series. And this person came back to me a couple of weeks later and said, I listened to it. I love it. I love your podcast now. And it, it was so great. Anyways. Uh, it, it was helpful to them. But the way people can find us is uh, MaximumFun.org. That is our network that we are part of. And they are currently in the midst of their uh, Max Fund drive, though maybe not by the time you hear that. Uh, but they're a great home for us. Uh, also, OnoPodcast.com. We're on Facebook. Uh, and we're also on Twitter, OnoPodcast. Oh uh, so you can find us there. Yeah, if you want to listen to the actual thing, whatever you use to listen to podcasts, it's there. Wherever finer podcasts are given away for free. <laughs> well, thank you guys. And we've we've really enjoyed this chat. We could talk for hours about this stuff. I mean, it's it's super interesting and we do love your style of how you approach it. Um it, I think you're a bit more gracious than us. And a lot a lot of the time, I mean, we try to be to be gracious, but um I think you you do that well and you land this stuff well. But look, best of luck. Let's let's chat again. Definitely. I think Great, been a yeah. great conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. No, I really appreciate it, guys. Hey, and just before you go, just mm-hmm. remember we are competing with you regularly. <laughs> so now you have to have a look at whatever, you know, religion category countries you're looking at. I want you to keep an eye out for I was a teenage fundamentalist because we're coming to get you. All right. <laughs> Hopefully in the rear view mirror. We'll, we'll see. murder you. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Awesome. If you'd like to connect with the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast, then please see the links in our link tree in the show notes. We invite you to pop across to our very vibrant listener community on Facebook, which is a private group, and we're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit. Also, a huge thank you to Lucy, who manages our social strategy, and to Kerry and Bree, who manage our Facebook listener group. All of our episodes are transcribed to increase accessibility And the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. It's produced and hosted by Brian McDowell and Troy Waller, with all sound production and editing done by Troy Waller. You can find all these links in our link tree in the show notes. 